Let's go to Revelation chapter number three this morning, if you would. We're in between series, and if you remember, way back before the Christmas season, we did a series on the seven churches of Revelation, but we only got about three of the seven done, and then just due to some unforeseen things, that series got interrupted. We kind of finished it off on Wednesday night in our Revelation series, but so I, I hadn't planned on coming back to the series and I still don't, but I did want to speak about the church in Philadelphia because it was my absolute favorite from my reading in Revelation. So what you're going to see is a profile of a church uh, that is recorded in Revelation chapter three. Now, just quick recap. There are how many churches outlined in Revelation two and three? How many are there? All right, there are seven churches that are spoken about, and some of the churches have really great things going on. Some of the churches have problems going on. There's only two churches where nothing negative is said about them, and one of those two is the church at Philadelphia. So let's read our opening verses this morning, and uh, we're going to look eventually at 7 through 13, but I'd like to just start with Revelation 3 and verses 7 through 8. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is, go ahead, he that is, and he that hath the, the key of David. Now, who are we talking about right now? We're talking about Jesus. This is Jesus, and he personally had a message. Now, of course, we know all of the scripture is given by the Lord Jesus Christ, but he personally appeared to John in the book of Revelation, and he personally said, I have a message for these seven churches, and he identifies himself. This is what I want you to say to Philadelphia. I want the Philadelphians, the city in Asia Minor, I want you to write from the one who is holy, I'm the one who's true, and I'm the one who has the key of David. I'm the one who opens and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Verse number eight, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee, read it with me, an open door. I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name. I'd like to speak this morning about experiencing open doors, experiencing open doors from the lessons from the church at Philadelphia. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that we have this opportunity to study the Bible together. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I give the message. I pray that you'd help us as a church to listen to your word. I pray that what you have for us would come come across clearly today, I pray that you would speak to hearts in a way that only you can. Lord, I recognize this morning that I need your help, so I pray that we would experience, Lord, the presence and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if I were just to say, God opened the door, how many of you ever heard somebody say that about something in your life? You'd say, well, you know, God just opened the door. He opened the door and I walked through that door. And a lot of that comes from this scripture and another scripture in the book of Corinthians that uh, the Bible talks about an open door there as well. But if I were to talk about an open door, there's a lot of misunderstandings that people have about 
what me what the open what an open door actually is. We're going to kind of clear some of those up today, um, and just discuss what we're talking about. But before that, just a little bit about Philadelphia. Obviously, Philadelphia uh, is not that. This is all written long before the modern city that we know of as Philadelphia was ever established. This is oh a couple of thousand years earlier. The Greek city. Uh, well, it's a, uh, actually a Turkish city, and what was Asia Minor at the time was the city of Philadelphia. And as you probably know, Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. So it was a place that was known for its brotherly love, and surely the church at Philadelphia, it definitely experienced that as well. But to this church, it's described as the church of the open door. Wouldn't that be something? God comes to these people and he says, I have set before thee an open door. Now, the great thing about open doors is all you have to do is what? You've got it. All you've got to do is walk through them. You don't have to figure out how to unlock them. You don't have to figure out how to open them. It's there. It's open. You as a believer simply just have to walk through. Now, I'm I'm going to... I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the desire of God for his people, that God wants to open some doors for his children. Do you believe that this morning? In 2022, I don't know, how many of you are New Year's resolution people? Any resolution people? A couple, oh, there's a few resolution people. If you were to look back, and people do this, I noticed this in the last few days, if you were to look back at this past year, or if you were to end the year 2022 and define it as a successful year, how would you, how do people define a successful year? Maybe you can think of some things. How would you define a successful year? Well, maybe a successful year would have, maybe have something to do with the numbers on a scale. I don't know. For some people, that's a successful year. Maybe you, your goal is to end the year 15 pounds lighter. Hopefully not 15 pounds heavier, but one or the other, you've got some kind of goal toward a physical fitness goal. Maybe you want to, maybe uh, you'll be one of those people that's crowding the, uh, the fitness center in the next, uh, in the next few days. Or, or maybe your goal, I just saw, I just saw this symbol right there. A successful year would be defined by maybe some kind of financial increase. Maybe a new job, maybe a new opportunity, maybe a new house or, or some kind of material opportunity. And truly, God does provide some of those things, and there's nothing wrong with setting those kinds of goals. But what are we talking about when we say an open door? I think a lot of people just think of, you know, some opportunity that I received, and and God kind of made the way clear. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, what is, how do we really define what an open door is? And so I put this little definition down, and you might disagree, or you might have a little bit different definition, but I jotted this definition down that I'd like to use this morning. I would define an open door or open doors as spiritual opportunities sovereignly arranged by God. Spiritual opportunities sovereignly arranged by God. They're not selfish opportunities orchestrated by me. They're spiritual opportunities that are sovereignly arranged by God. And you know, they don't always line up with our expectations, do they? They don't always. They don't always. Our idea of an open door is not always what God has planned. 
They're not selfish, but they, they must be spirit-led. But also, open doors are not natural. In other words, it's not something, a, a true. if it's truly a door that God has opened, it's not something that is about my natural ability to perform. It's about God wanting to do something supernatural in my life. Do you believe that God could do something in your life this year? This year that is something beyond your capabilities? That would be an open door. And it's not based on rationalism, but it's based on faith. What does, how does God want to stretch us this year? How does God want to, and, and each of us is going to have to get in the Word of God and answer that for ourselves, but how does God want to reveal steps to us and actions to us that are not based on, well, let me see, if I add this up and, I, and according to my calculations, and then if A plus B works out, we get C result, that God doesn't work on that kind of economy. God has his own mathematics, if you will. And I carefully worded that statement. It's not that God's ways are not rational, because of course he is the, the, the creator of reason, is he not? But it's not, he's not limited by our ability to comprehend. He's not limited by our ability to understand. It says that without faith, it's impossible to what? To please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it's going to require not selfishness on our part. If you want to have this be a year of open doors, it's going to require not selfishness, but spirit filling. It's not going to be a natural work, but it's going to be supernatural. And it can't be based on my own ability to comprehend, but it has to be based on me being willing to step out by faith and watch God do what I could never have imagined he would do. Notice a couple of things here in verse number seven. Look at verse number seven as he speaks to the church. He says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. Look at this. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Another important point here as we think about this, this introduction, the doors are not ours to open. Remember that. Who's the one doing the opening here? The Lord is doing the opening. The oars, the do, in other words, our lives are not our own. He's the one who opens doors. He's the one who closes doors. But then this great statement of confidence he openeth, and no man shutteth. If God opens a door, there's no one who can close that door. If God, if God has a desire for your life, if God wants to accomplish something in your life, there is no one who can stop that. Because he says, I am the one who opens the doors, I am the one who shuts the doors, and nobody, nobody can open a door that I've shut, and nobody can shut a door that I've opened. Isn't it good to know that he's in control, that he's sovereign? But now as we shift to the rest of the message, we've got to understand this. Do all believers experience open doors? The, the door to salvation. Yeah, amen. I would say that all believers have the, uh, could live with open doors. They could. But how many churches did we look at? How many churches are here? There's seven churches. 
And there's really probably, there's only one where it's explicit, and there's maybe one other where it's implicit, but none of the other churches are described as having an open door set before them. Is that because God is capricious about his open doors and he only desires open doors for some and and closed doors for others? Well, I understand there's an applicable sense for all of that. But the fact is this, when he describes, you're going to see some characteristics of this church that I believe put them in a unique position to walk through open doors. And if this church is the church of the open door, and if you and I would say, boy, I would love to have God say that to me as well, that there is an open door before me. I'm going to look at how this church is described. Wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to see what God says about this church to say, hey, how can my life, how can my life be surrendered in such a way that my life could be described as an open door set before me? I want you to notice a few things about them if you'll turn over your notes this morning. First of all, this is a church in verse number seven, that understood that experiencing open doors meant truly seeing Christ. It's got to begin with a true and accurate vision of who Jesus is. Verse number seven, right in the middle of the verse, Jesus self-identifies. And by the way, that's a buzzword today. He is the only person with the right to self-identify. He declares who he is. We don't explain. We don't comprehend. We don't get to decide who Jesus is. Jesus declares who he is. And how does he describe himself? He says that he is, first of all, true. He that is holy, he that is true. He is holy and true. You see, when we talk about open doors, there's a lot of platitudes that go around there. There's a lot of people that say, well, you know, I wasn't sure what decision to make, but I took a step and it just kind of seemed like the door is open. We're not talking about that kind of circumstance or happenstance. We're talking about saying, I have a life that is sovereignly ordered by God. And I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm following His leading in accordance to the Word of God. You're never going to have confidence. I am never going to have confidence that I am truly walking through a door that God has opened unless I first have a clear vision of who Jesus is. And first of all, he's described as holy and true. This speaks of his purity. The last several weeks, we, at, for the Christmas season, we talked about the identity of Christ in John chapter 1. And we must understand that Jesus is holy. Jesus is pure. You say, okay, well, I understand that. But think about this, focusing on the holiness of Christ focusing on the purity of Christ. The more time we spend focused on Christ, what effect does that have on us? Well, the scripture says, be ye holy as what? Yeah. So as Christ is holy, we reflect that holiness. And I want to encourage you that as you go through your devotions, as you think about, rather than us primarily focused on what we're doing and how we're behaving, all that comes later. First, just start every day and moment by moment through the day, get a glimpse of the holiness and the glory and the perfection of Christ. I don't think it's an accident that he describes himself to this church as the one who is holy and the one who is true. Well, there's more about it. Look, what, look how else he describes himself here in verse number seven. He says, he that is holy, he that is true, and he that hath the key of David. 
There's only one other reference, and it's in the prophets, to this key of David. And it speaks about somebody coming back um, and receiving the authority of the kingdom. The authority of the kingdom. And when we see Jesus as the one holding the key of David, what it means is he has the right to sit on the, the throne. Now, ultimately, in the book of Revelation, we understand that that throne is going to be a true, physical, literal throne by, from which he will rule the nations. But also, in his authority, Jesus has the right to sit on my throne, the throne of my life, the throne of your life. And to the Philadelphians, it's important, and to you and I, if we're going to experience open doors, we've got to truly see Christ for who he is. Yes, he's pure and holy, but he has ultimate and complete authority. I've experienced many times where people say, well, God opened the door. God closed the door. Or in in reference to to some random circumstance in life. Well, let's just ask ourselves the question. Let's ask ourselves the question, has, is our life, is my life submitted to the authority of of Jesus. Are we able to get verse number seven back up there? Did you have some trouble with it? Let's try to get it. One more thing here. Look back at verse number seven. So you see he's holy and true. He has the key of David with authority. And then the last thing that said here is what? That he is the one who opens and closes. Openeth and no man shutteth. Purity, authority, and exclusivity. It is all about him, and it is only about him. We said we live in an age where many people are are perfectly comfortable ascribing their opinion to Jesus of who he is. Have you noticed that? People will say, well, I just think that God is this way. Or I just believe that, that God would do this or God would do, do that. I just have this opinion. Well, what the scriptures teach us is this, that he is God and he is God alone. He will define himself. He is the one who has revealed himself in his word. He is in complete control. We don't get to decide He is Lord over all. Jesus is all there is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He opens. He closes. He is all that is, and he is all that I have. I read an interesting quote this past week, and this really jumped out at me. The the individual stated this. Jesus is not just all that we need. He is all that we have. Right, let that. I didn't. I didn't come up with that. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus is not just all that we need; He's all that we have. Sometimes I think we make the mistake of saying, "I need more Jesus in my life." But the truth is, I need only Jesus in my life. That I submit everything to Him. That all the doors are opened and closed by Him. He is in complete control, truly seeing Christ. 
So that's where it begins. Experiencing an open door begins by truly seeing Christ, but then it moves on, and it's not just about truly seeing Christ, but being truly seen by Christ. Look at verse number 8, what he says to the church. Jesus says to the church, this is who I am, but now in verse number 8, I know thy works. I know you. I've seen you. Now, on the one hand, it's a great encouragement. Isn't it encouraging to know that Jesus knows us? But then on the other hand, it's a little bit sobering to realize Jesus knows us. He knows everything about us. The great, the great news is whether what he sees is pleasing or displeasing, he still loves us. However, it also reminds us of the foolishness of living with hypocrisy in our lives. Right? I mean, how foolish to pretend to be something, how foolish would it be for me to pretend to be something for all of you or for you to pretend to be something for each other all the while the only one who matters already knows exactly who we are. There's several, there's a reference in the Bible to, in the New Testament, to having faith unfeigned. In other words, not putting on a show or a pretense, but having a true, sincere faith. Now, do you believe that the church at Philadelphia was a perfect church? No, of course not. Just because Jesus didn't mention any of their problems, do you think they were without problems? Of course not. But God, but Jesus would look at that church and say, I know thy works. I have wonderful things to say about you. I know you. Let's be a people that we can say, you know what? It's impossible for me to be perfect, but I can be real. It's impossible to be perfect, but we can be genuine. The Bible in the book of James speaks about a willingness to confess our faults even one to another, that we may be healed. And what he says here is, I know you. I know everything about you. I know your works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. Now look how they're described. For thou hast great might, power, and strength. Is that what it says? How does he describe them? I mean, here, here, this, is, this would be the ultimate, like, you know, you feel like somebody's building you up, building, building you up, building you up. You know what I got to say about you? You got a little bit of strength. You're kind of strong. Jesus doesn't say you have great strength. He says you have a little strength. You got a little. Um, think about all the littles that were great in the Bible. David was just a little shepherd boy. The lad just had a little lunch. Jesus just had 12 messed up disciples. All these things, just a little. Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, it's a little. And a lot of people think, well, if there's going to be open doors, God's going to use, God's going to use, I just want to do a, when I was in college, a lot of the guys, you'd hear preachers, they'd be like, go out and you do a great work for God. Well, there are no great works for God. There's only a great working of God in little people and weak people. And so if you'd say, I don't have much to offer, you're in a great place for a wide open door. He says, you've got a little strength. I know you. They weren't concerned with bragging and making people think they were greater than they really were. 
They're like, yeah, that's us. The little Philadelphians. We have a little strength. You have a little strength. And then the best thing Jesus could say about them is, and you know what? You've kept my word. You've kept my word. There'd be nothing greater that could be said at the end of our lives or at the end of this year than for another year as we go into our 40th year as a church. Or as no, we've completed our 40th year. We enter a new decade as a church. One more year for us to say, at year 41, we've kept the word. We've kept the word. And for your family to come through the year and at the end of the year say, yeah, we've had, we've had difficulties and boy, I sure felt like I just had a little strength. I didn't feel like I came through this year a champion for Christ, but I have a mighty champion. And I had a little strength, and I kept a word. I kept his word. See, we just get confused about what open doors are and what opportunities are and what success is. We're so quick to define success how we want, but, but he says, you've kept my word. You had a little strength, and you kept my word. And they just lived real, genuine lives before God with their, with their faults, with their failures, with their successes, with their strengths. But they kept the word. And you haven't denied. Thou hast not denied my name. See, we truly see Christ, and we're truly seen by Christ. And then we come to the, the third point, and we were uninfluenced by the hypocrisy and failure of others around us. You see, you've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. But now in verse 9, we're introduced to a group of people who have denied his name. And he's going to say, but you, church at Philadelphia, you, church of the open door, believer, believer, you do not have to be affected by those who live in hypocrisy. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'd go to church, but the church is full of... No, you've heard that too, right? But the church is full of hypocrites. And you've probably heard this. This is kind of an old joke, but Walmart's full of hypocrites too, right? You still go there. It's everywhere. Maybe some of you haven't heard that one before. <laughs> oh. Verse 9. Behold. I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, whoa, which say they are Jews and are not. If anything, that warning right, right there, that warning right there would make me not want to be a hypocrite. When Jesus says, says you claim to be part of the, the and this is using a Jewish context because obviously there, there was a strong um, Orthodox community in Philadelphia at the time. And he says, well, they claim to be the people of God. and They meet in their synagogue and they walk in and they have all their ceremonies and you see the whole procession of them go to synagogue and they claim to be the righteous people. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to tell you that's not a synagogue. Well, yes, it is. It's a synagogue of Satan because they say they have the truth, but they lie. Whoa, that's pretty strong, isn't it? There are people who have compromised the word of God. They no longer believe that this book is God's word. They no longer believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. They've denied the truths of the scriptures, yet they still fill churches even this morning. 
And, and there's a level of theological hypocrisy that's rampant all across our nation of people who claim the name of Jesus but are truly of the synagogue of Satan. Then there are people who once claimed the name of Jesus and have drifted away. Let's just be encouraged for a minute this morning. It has always been that from the beginning. There are people that get so, and we have a social media generation today, so when something happens, you find out about it as soon as it happens, instantly. And the news, your news feed over the years, it will be filled with people who once were well-known Christians, but now they no longer live for the Lord. Or people you may know personally who once claimed the name of Jesus, but now they've completely walked away. That's happened from the beginning. Jesus had a disciple who wasn't true. But none of that closes the door. None of that hinders the work that God wants to accomplish through His people who are faithful. None of it changes that. They are uninfluenced. He says, you are there. Listen, some of us say, oh, but we live in such a hard time. The Philadelphian church, the church of the open door, they lived in a day where there were people around them that claimed the name of God, where Jesus says, they're really of the synagogue of Satan. But that hasn't affected you Philadelphians. That hasn't changed uh, your faith. That hasn't caused you to step back. You continue to move forward in Christ. It says that, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So what in the world? That seems kind of strange. You have to understand the context. These supposed religious leaders what would they have been doing to the Philadelphians, the, the true believers? Persecuting them, making their lives difficult, harassing them, antagonizing them. Eventually, they would be putting the Philadelphian believers to death. And Jesus says, take heart, take courage, because there is a day coming when every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. The, the critics, the scoffers, the skeptics, the God deniers, the Bible deniers. We pray now for their conversion. We try to reach them with the love of Christ, but should they, should they persist in their denial of Christ? Should they persist in their attempted persecution of the church? Jesus reminds Philadelphia, don't let any of that bother you because there is a day coming where even they will bow. Ultimately, before the King of Kings, but also in the presence of those who are faithful. Wow. So they're a group of people. They see Christ for who he is. They're truly seen by Christ. They're uninfluenced by hypocrisy and failings of people around them. Now on to verse number 10, they can have great confidence. Look at verse number 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my Patience. That word patience, the Greek there is the idea of endurance. It's not the idea of waiting extra long at McDonald's. How many of you love that? You let, my dad gives a great soliloquy on this. You know, when you, uh, you pull up to McDonald's, right, and you, you've paid for your order, you're ready to receive your order, and they say, please pull ahead to stop number one. It's like, I didn't go through the drive-thru for stop number one or number two. Anyway, that's not the kind of patience we're talking about here. 
The word endurance or the word patience in the Bible, it literally means being able to remain under. It's as if there's something heavy and something, something heavy over you and you are just, you're there. You've got the strength to endure it. You've got the strength to get to it, get through it. How many of you have felt, maybe I was chatting with somebody this year and I appreciated the fact that I said, hey, how are you doing? And they pretty much told me, not so good, life is hard. And I think in a family of faith like this, we ought to be able to say that to one another. To say, you know what? Everything's not going great. Everything's not just good. And we stopped and we talked for just a minute. We would, some people, they'd think, well, my life is an open door. That means that, means that you know, things are going great and things are going super well on the outside. No, you might be going through a heavy load, but an open door could mean that God has given us the strength and to endure. And that he's accomplishing something. That's easy to preach and hard to live, right? But now he says this, because he's worked this endurance in their life, he says in verse 10, I, will, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now that's interesting there. What's he referring to in that passage? Well, most of you know where the rest of the book of Revelation is going. The rest of the book, and you can come on Wednesday nights as we go verse by verse through this, not this week, but we'll pick it up again the following week. But the reference here is to what's about to unfold in the book of Revelation. There's going to be a description of a trial, of a tribulation that is going to come upon the whole world. But he says, Philadelphia, everything that's coming, the final judgment for this world, that's for the world, but it's not for you. He says, I've kept you from that. I'm protecting you from that. Listen, when we know the certainty of our victory, that changes how we view today, doesn't it? When we know where it's all going, and that the Bible says that the Lord will preserve us, that no matter what happens, Jesus even said, don't be afraid of people. I always found this statement to be, to be a, a, a bit of a, of a shocker. He says, Jesus says to the disciples, don't be afraid of people who can only kill you. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. That kind of thing. Don't be afraid of people who can only kill your body. I'm like, well, I guess that I, I guess there's really nobody else to be afraid of then. He says, rather fear the one who could, who has power over both the body and to cast the soul into hell. Don't be afraid of the one who can only bring an earthly judgment. Fear the one who has the power of eternal judgment. But if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus and he knows you, that dilemma has already been solved. So for us, we say, okay, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can deliver body and soul into hell. Well, wait a minute. I don't have to fear the one who can judge my soul either because he's redeemed my soul. He's saved my soul. So who is left to fear? No one. Now I walk in love and I don't have to fear it. I was, I was, I am just, I just want to challenge you. If you could make one New Year's resolution and you're a news person, make a New Year's resolution to just dial back the news consumption this year. We were talking in our men's, our men's group a couple of weeks ago just about that. 
I was, we got home late from a trip on, uh, from our, we were in Ontario with my, my mother-in-law and, and family for the, just before the new year. We got home at like 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Okay, so our, we had a condensed New Year's Eve celebration. And I'm just trying to find one of the stations that's trying to find a station that's going to have the ball drop. All I want to watch is the ball drop, you know, and then go to bed. You know, I'm lame, right? So anyway, and my son is back there like, amen, amen. All right, so I'm looking for a station. I finally land on a news station, right? And like, you know, fun, everybody's having fun, getting ready. And of course, I turned to, a, you know, I shouldn't have turned to a news station because here we are with festivities all around us. And basically, the conversation went something like this. Can you believe what an idiot that politician is? Oh, but hopefully 2022 will be way better. It's like, I, we're just watching it. And I'm just like, come on. Can't we take a break from this for 15 minutes? I mean, there's 15 minutes to go. And the description was, and then they tried to, and then they're like, they're like, yeah, well, this political leader is a really terrible person and things are really bad, but we still live in the greatest country in the world. <laughs> I'm like, oh, can't take it. Listen, as believers, we ought to have a confidence and an assurance that, listen, no matter what happens in this country, the best days for believers are yet to come. There's been a cycle, there's been a cycle of history and peaks and valleys in different ways for the church for millennia. Sometimes the church has lived in prosperous, thriving times. Sometimes the church has gone through persecution. But God chose us to live not then, but now. And God has desired an open door for us, not then. We don't have the open door that previous generations have. We have the open door that this generation has. And there will be, I believe, there will be some, many Christians who miss out on the open doors of opportunity because they're so focused on the negativity rather than being confident that God has this thing under control. We're confident in His protection. Nothing will interrupt God's plan for us. Nothing. Nothing will, inter God's, it will interrupt God's plan for us. We are delivered from the ultimate judgment. So what is there to be so concerned about? No wonder there was an open door. Now again, this isn't because this church was just full of great people. No, it's because they began with an understanding of who Christ was and the Holy Spirit was transforming their lives. Verse 11 now, we see that they're faithful to the end. They're going to be faithful to the end. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, Behold, I come, what? Quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. This is a really interesting verse. I come quickly. That could be interpreted two ways, right? It could mean quickly in the sense of chronology, right? Like, hey, there's not much time left. I'm coming very soon. Or it could mean speed, not chronology. When I come, it's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. I think that second 
interpretation matches what we know about the Scriptures and what else the Scripture says, that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, that the world isn't going to know what happens. Jesus says, I am coming quickly. I am going to come at any moment. And there's a sense of anticipation for the church. There's a sense in this of anticipation that it could be at any moment that Jesus could come. This whole thing could be over in just a quick second. A twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, and we could be gone. And the, the new, the, the, the reality of, of eternity will be upon us. I come quickly. So be faithful. Hold fast. Hold fast. Why? Why? Hold fast that which thou, that which thou hast, that no man do what? Take thy crown. Wait a minute. I thought open doors are supposed to make things simple. They're walking through an open door, and what are they, what are they going to deal with according to that statement? What are they going to deal with? Huh? Going to be some conflict, right? There's going to be some opposition. Do you see what it says? Don't let anyone take your crown. Don't let anyone do it. You've been, listen, you have been, you have been saved from the judgment, but you're going to go through a battle. An open door doesn't mean that there won't be battles to fight. It doesn't mean there won't be trials or difficulties. In fact, the difficulties that you may face, the trials that you may, may face, the opposition that will come against you will be so intense that they will try to defeat your progress and rob you of your rewards in heaven. So he says, just keep pressing on. Be faithful. He gives a realistic expectation. I've known, I've known people that would say, well, they have, well, let's put it this way. They have equated an open door in their life with favorable circumstances. I've been guilty of that. Or we say, well, I took a step and it seemed like the way was easy, so I just assumed that that's where God wanted me to go. But I've had other experiences in my life where I've taken a step to be immediately faced with opposition, difficulty, and a hill to climb. It's just like this theme is throughout the scriptures. It's just like Jesus, or just like God in the Old Testament leading them into the promised land. They go to the promised land, but who was there when they got there? Canaanites. Oh, you gave us the land, but now we got to fight for it too? Yeah, I'll give you the power. I'll give you the victory. I'll give you the strength. You're going to face, I'm going to face things this year where, listen, I would love to just say the door was open, I walked through, and man, I, it was just like I could ride a skateboard through the air, you know, just cruise right along. But no, we're going to come up against opposition. We're going to come up against difficulty. But he says, hold fast, hold fast, be faithful to the end, and the best part now comes at the end, verse number 12. Look at the, look at the best part of this open door kind of living. Him that overcometh. Now, I've got to say this. The overcomers are in every church. You read the, the seven churches, there's overcomers everywhere. It refers to the ones who are, the, are true believers through it all. He says this, he that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God? 
That's not literal. That would be a strange eternity to be part of the pillar. You know, I'm having weird imaginations about that right now. Like, oh, I'm part of the pillar. The the idea is the church right now is the pillar and ground of the truth. You and I as believers, we make up the building of God. He says, you are the temple of God. And this eternal temple that God is building in a spiritual sense, the overcomers, the believers, we are pillars in the eternal temple of God. And he shall go out, go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God. If you've got a real problem with tattoos, it's going to be difficult at the very end. Just saying there. Just saying. That was for free. Don't build your theology off that, okay? I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. You put your name on something, it indicates what? That is mine. That's mine. But he doesn't just put his name on us. He puts the location on us. So I don't know what this is, if this is a literal mark on our on our glorified bodies that in eternity i don't know i think it's a bit to understand but what this says is who i belong to and where i belong who i belong to and where i belong believer to bring us back to something we said at the beginning Because the name of Jesus, the name of God, is written on you and written on me if we know Christ, there's no one in this earth or heaven outside of the Lord who can define who you are. There's no one can. When the devil comes and accuses you and says, oh, yeah, but look at your past. Look at who you were. It's not who I am. I have the name of Jesus on me. But look at what you just did. Look at how you fell. Nope, I'm an overcomer. I belong to God. I have his name on me. There's no one. And what's even better is not only can no one else define you, but you don't even have the right to define yourself. We live in a generation where everybody's saying, well, I'll define who I am. I'll define who I am. I don't want these people to, I don't want these people to tell me who I am, so I'm going to do it. And then people struggle from identity to identity to identity, trying to understand even who they are. What a place of security and blessings to know that I am defined as a child of God and a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. That is who I am. And nothing can change that because of Christ. So why would, I, why would I want to live any other way? No one can define me. Nothing can change my destiny. And those facts alone should motivate me to be fully surrendered to walk through the open door. I will write upon him my new name. So the application comes from verse 13. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Everything that we read this morning, everything that we read this morning only makes a difference in your life if you what? If you have ears to hear. 
Jesus spoke a lot about this. There are things that are only spiritually understood. Do you hear what God is trying to show you this morning? Do you hear the voice of the Lord? Not in a mystical way, but the way God's voice works is He takes the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, far better than I could, the Holy Spirit takes the words that we read in the Bible and personalizes them to our hearts and says, you needed this, you needed that. What is God trying to do in your life? What open doors will God set before you this year? Will you have spiritual eyes to see them? Will you have spiritual ears to hear His calling? And most importantly, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at all? You can come to church, you can read your Bible, you can do religious things, but has there been a time in your life where you understood that you needed Jesus? That whole question that we read about, about, going, about having his name on us and, and being saved from the judgment to come, have you settled that in your life? Because that's the foundation of it all. This morning you have an opportunity to do one of two things. If you're not sure about your eternal destination, you can settle it today. You can be saved by calling on Christ. And if you need to let God speak and open some doors or close some doors in your life, that's an opportunity for you, Christian. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we come to a time of prayer. Could it be said of you that could it be said of you that you've been delivered, that you've been saved, that there is no judgment awaiting you? Is that true in your life? Has there been a time where you asked Jesus to save you, where you put your faith in him? If you died today or if Jesus returned today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? If not, make sure right now. The Bible says that if you will call on the name of Jesus, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you ask Jesus to save you right now? Say, Jesus, I, 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 I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died and rose again for me. And right now I ask you to save me. Settle that today. If there's any doubt in your mind, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching this morning, if you're not sure that you've been saved, ask Jesus to save you right now. Lord, please save me. I believe. I believe you died and rose for me. Please save me. Christian, I think that the word of God for us, the word of God for us is clear enough this morning. Plenty of application you just take a moment of reflection as the music plays and just ask God to reveal to you what he'd have for your life.